In this episode, I'm sharing some poker-applicable lessons from Kobe Bryant. Welcome to Smart Poker Study. I'm your host, Sky Matsuhashi. Thank you so very much for spending some of your study time with me, whether you're out walking the dog, doing the dishes, in the commute, or in the car during your commute, or maybe even during your lunch break, you know? Thank you so very much. If it's your first time here, welcome in. And if you're back for more, hey, welcome back! If you enjoyed this episode, and if you learn a little something from it that you can apply to the felt, or maybe in your off-the-felt studies, please share it with a friend. Just send them to the show notes page, smartpokerstudy.com slash pod283. Alrighty, well, uh, today I'm going to play a clip from the Adam Carolla show, and the clip is about Kobe Bryant. Uh, in the clip, you're going to hear Mike Trudell tell a little story to Adam in the gang about a ping pong match that he played versus Kobe Bryant, and we're going to learn some important lessons that uh, that he learned about Kobe's attitude towards competition. And I took away some important lessons for poker players as well, and so I'm going to share them with you after the clip. Uh, plus, after that, I'll even give you a five-question quiz about making adjustments. Let's roll. Gambate! Hell yeah! Let's do this! All right, so uh, I'm sure many of you know uh, Kobe Bryant. He died alongside his daughter and some of their friends in a helicopter crash back on January 26th. And uh, Kobe Bryant, he's a legendary basketball player, and he's a hero to millions of people, and his death was a truly tragic loss. Now, the memorial service... Uh, it was held about a month later at the Staples Center in Los Angeles on February 24th. And Mike Trudell, who's a sideline reporter for the Lakers, he attended the event. And afterwards, I think maybe within a couple hours afterwards, he went on to the Adam Carolla show to discuss a little bit about the legacy of Kobe Bryant and some of his experiences with Kobe. Now, one particular story about Kobe that Mike Trudell shared, um, uh, it, it really struck a chord with me, and I thought it was perfectly related to some of the things that we strive to do as poker players. And just a quick setup for the clip I'm about to play from the Adam Carolla show. Mike is talking about one Thanksgiving when he was on the road with the team, and they were uh, in a hotel overnight, most of them without their families, I guess. And Kobe set up a huge Thanksgiving spread and, mm, like... Uh, did up some activities for the entire team to share in as well. So here's the clip. So Kobe at this thing, there's a bar there and then there are a couple of uh, like footballs and then there's a ping pong table. So some of the players start going back and forth. I think I started playing Jordan Farmar at a certain point, and then you, I don't know if people, hardcore Laker fans might remember Sean Williams was around for a cup of tea, <laughs> and I was playing against Sean Williams. Kobe was on the side, and he and I was beating Sean, and so Kobe was talking trash to Sean. Like, how are you going to lose to the MFing sideline reporter? Like, what, <laughs> right. you know, what are you doing? And so I, I in complete jest and anticipating nothing except for hopefully a hearty nod of approval said something to Kobe along the lines of, do you want some too? Uh, <laughs> and in sure enough, he did. And so I, it, after being, it, I, I wasn't sure what I got myself into. And so he gets up and I play him and, and pretty soon on, I realized that I'm just in this one thing. He's, he's better at almost everything. One of the greatest athletes in the history of anything. I am a little bit better at ping pong. Okay. So I grew up with the table. So I know this right away the second that I see him hit. And so I beat him pretty handily the first game and he's not talking trash to me, but he, uh, he's, he's actually adjusting within a ping pong game. So by the end of the game, I have to stop praying on his backhand because he's adjusted to that. Mm -hmm. Normal people don't do this. They sort of just get up and play and then they sit down. <laughs> Right. So then he says, let's go again. 
Next game, it is literally it is harder to beat him two minutes later in the second game than it was in the first game. And it just uh, Rob Palinka actually, the of course his best friend, the general manager of the Lakers, um, he got up and told a story today about playing tennis with Kobe. They would go to the health club or whatever it was in Newport Beach, and he was playing with Kobe, and Rob was better at first. So a couple weeks later, he goes and plays Kobe again. He finds out Kobe has been getting private lessons from the uh, the pro the pro at right. the club, and he's already started to make gains. And so I saw this for myself in this little 10, 15-minute window of playing ping pong against him, and I think that was echoed in all of the tributes that you heard today, that this was how this guy was. He, he wanted to and had to be the best, or at least try his hardest. Like, he didn't care that he lost to me. That was one thing that was impressive. It wasn't an ego thing. He was just like, okay, well, I don't want this happening again. So his security guy later told me that he ordered ordered a ping pong table i think like in one of the next couple days so it's just it's my own little slice of it it's embarrassing even to think about like yeah i beat kobe at ping pong who cares it's just the it's what what you get out of it is is a little window into how he ticked so right when i heard this uh it just made me think of some really good takeaways that i pulled from this story about things that we can apply to poker right the first thing was that kobe had a great ability to adjust to his opponents on the fly So in the story, playing ping pong, Kobe realized that Mike was putting a lot of pressure on his weak backhand swing. Now, even though in the in the story, Mike didn't tell the exact adjustments that Kobe made, but it's obvious that he compensated for this weakness, right? Uh, And maybe also compensated for Mike's strengths. And this caused the second game to be a bit more difficult for Mike to win. And this is the kind of thing that us poker players must strive to do. Playing the player and adjusting to the table or the tournament, those are critical abilities that winning players share. They're also able to recognize the things that they're doing wrong and make strategical corrections for themselves. Now, we can do the same thing from one hand to the next, or one round at the table to the next round, or even one tournament to the next tournament. We must figure out what is not working for us and work to compensate for any weaknesses. Then we must take action to improve our skills. And I think what Mike said about how most people play a game of ping pong, right? They get up there, play a game, and then win or lose, they just sit back down without giving the experience much thought. That's probably how most poker players approach the game as well. You know, they go to the casino uh, or fire up online tables and they just play. And then win or lose, the session's over, they go to bed, they do something else, and then tomorrow, they start it up again. You are never going to become the player that you want to be if you take this kind of lazy approach to poker. Now, I really like the other part of the story uh, about Kobe actually hiring a tennis coach to improve his weakness. Now, getting beaten and then deciding that you want to do better next time, that's okay, right? But... Actually stepping up to the plate and hiring a coach to improve your game. That's how real champions get to the next level. Of course, you can hire a coach just like Kobe did. Uh, Your poker coach can help you figure out where your leaks are and help you take steps to plug those leaks to improve those skills. But you don't really need to hire a coach. You can choose instead to study and improve upon your weaknesses off the felt. So after a particularly bad session, maybe where you know you made a lot of mistakes, you can write down those mistakes in your poker journal and then work on fixing them one at a time. For example, maybe you don't know how to respond to three bets and you lost a lot of money calling too frequently and four betting one session, right? Well, you can study and practice your three bet defense. 
watch a video, take notes, learn some new strategies, and the next time you're on the felt, uh, employ those strategies. Maybe one specific player is giving you headaches. Well, in Poker Tracker 4, you can dive into their database of hands to see all their showdown hands so that you can learn how they play different hand strengths on each street in order to devise some exploits or just some ways to fight back against them. Now, I really like that final thing that Mike discussed about how Kobe, he didn't care about losing. Losing is just a part of any game that you play. What Kobe cared about, though, was being better the next time because he didn't want to lose again. This is what we must strive for as poker players. Results don't matter. But if you fail to learn from mistakes and fail to learn from those losing sessions, you'll never become a great player. You want to treat losing sessions and any mistakes that you make as opportunities to learn and improve your skills. You must analyze what happened and why it happened, and then work off the felt to do better next time. So this is going to require two things from you. Thing one is to study off the felt to improve the strategies and your understanding of one particular situation at a time. Don't try to improve five things in one study session. Work on one at a time. Start from big to, and go small. The second thing you need to do is to practice the new strategies you learn. So let's say you're having a problem defending when you're in the blinds. You've got to do some purposeful study around it. So watch a video, listen to a podcast, or read an article, but learn some positive EV defense strategies. Then, the next time you're on the felt, purposely play to practice all those new strategies you learn. Make sure you tag interesting hands or take notes on them so that you can study them later, and then repeat this process over and over until you're a skilled blind defender. All right, so I want to give you a little five-question quiz about making poker adjustments. Now, each of these questions are going to have an A or B answer. I want to keep it simple for you. Go ahead and pause the podcast as necessary to think about your two options and then select the adjustment that you would make given the situation. And then I'll give my answer directly after I list the two options. So here's question one. A regular player at your stakes seems to be targeting you and pounding on you. How do you adjust? A. Narrow your preflop open raising range and only play the top 10% of hands. Or B. Review this player's showdown hands in your database to see how they approach different hands both pre- and post-flop so that you can develop effective strategies against them. Well, my answer, obviously, it's B. Review the player's showdown hands in your database. Question 2. Bob789 just will not fold post-flop. How do you adjust? A. Stop bluffing and only value bet him. Or B. Increase your bluff bet sizing to force him to fold. My answer is A. Stop bluffing and only value bet. Question 3. You go on tilt 3 out of every 5 sessions, and this costs you 1 or 2 buy-ins each time. How do you adjust? A. Read the mental game of poker and keep playing poker? Or B. Read the mental game of poker in an effort to understand your particular type of tilt. Then work your solution into your warm-ups and stay focused on not allowing anger or tilt to affect your play. My answer is B. Of course, read the mental game of poker, but then go beyond that. Work your solution into your warm-ups and stay focused on the felt. 
Question four, Susie Q14 always calls from late position. How do you adjust? A, you leave the table when Susie Q14 is on your left. Or B, narrow your open raising ranges so your hand is at the top of Susie Q's uh, calling range and think about what flops are good or bad for you before you get to the flop. My answer is B, narrow your open raising ranges so your hand is at the top of Susie Q14's calling range. Alrighty, the final question number five. Life interferes and you only have 30 minutes per day for poker. How do you adjust? A, you do more focused work in the time that you have. Maybe five minutes for hand reading exercise every day devoted around one specific area of weakness and then 25 minutes of play where you purposely focus on that exact same area and try to make better decisions and work to not repeat any mistakes. Or B, you find other things to cut out of your life like exercise and sleep and you force yourself to put in an hour and a half of study and play per day. My answer is going to be A, Do more focused work in that time that you have. Do not cut out sleep and do not cut out important things like exercise or hanging out with your kids. Alrighty, your learning is not complete until you visit smartpokerstudy.com slash pod283 for a transcript of today's episode. If you're down with taking action to improve your skills and your poker bankroll, you must become a member of thepokerforge.com. Every month in the Forge is dedicated to one theme in an effort to turn you into a poker master. And we're all about taking action and making adjustments to your strategies in order to exploit your opponents. So check out thepokerforge.com today. My other podcast called Daily Poker Tips, that's available wherever you listen to podcasts. To subscribe, just go to smartpokerstudy.com slash dailypokertips. Until next time, take action on and off the felt to become the player you want to be.